Welcome to the Nutrition on a Mission podcast. I'm Dr. James Gieselman, and this is my co-host, Coach Drew Sams. And together, we bring some of the leading nutritional providers and world-class athletes from across the country who incorporate nutrition either in their practices or day-to-day lives. Our guests share with you their stories of what led them to their passion for nutrition and how you can incorporate some of those passions into your daily life. Drew, how's your week going? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not too bad so far. I mean, we're recording on a Monday, so, you know, just kind of getting started, coming off a, a long weekend of wrestling and, and coaching all weekend. So, you know, it's exciting to get back, you know, into the classroom and, and get a little teaching in as well as some more coaching this week. Absolutely. I don't know. Today just seemed like it went by extremely fast. I don't, I don't even know that I took a break at all. It was one class after another, so... So I can't wait for our listeners to uh, meet today's guest. Yeah, that's right, James. I'm really excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Jeff Krabby. Dr. Krabby is the founding editor-in-chief of the journal Nutritional Foundations. He's a professor of nutrition at Palmer College of Chiropractic, Florida. He received his Bachelor of Science in Nutritional Science and Dietetics from the University of Nebraska, a Master of Science in Nutrition from the University of Bridgeport, a Master of Public Health from Purdue University, and his Doctor of Chiropractic from Palmer College of Chiropractic. He's a diplomate of the American Clinical Board of Nutrition, a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, a licensed dietitian nutritionist in the state of Florida, a certified sports nutritionist of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, and a certified strength conditioning specialist. He is the director of research for the Council on Nutrition for the American Chiropractic Association. Dr. Crabby is also an associate editor of the journal Nutritional Perspectives and the journal of the International Academy of Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine. Dr. Krabby, welcome. You just do it all. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, so Dr. Krabby, can you can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself other than, you know, kind of kind of the bio? Uh, I've had a lifelong passion uh, for nutrition. Uh, kind of an, an interesting story. I was in a a, uh, I got my bachelor's. Is, uh, you gave me that wonderful uh, introduction. Thank you so much for that. Um, I got my bachelor's and was on an RD track and plan on getting my master's in RD and was accepted uh, in a, mas- a master's PhD program uh, at the University of Nebraska. And uh, just moving a little bit forward, because um, I know you want to know a little bit more about me, so I'm going to kind of skip ahead a little bit because it makes sense right here. Um Believe it or not, um, I was I was very much into uh, powerlifting at the time and competing and stuff, and uh, I had some really bad hip and knee problems, uh, hip and knee pain. Uh, I couldn't even walk upstairs, and you know I was twenty three years old at the time, and I was on every drug known to man. Um, they were talking about surgery, and it was pretty crazy. And my wife. Um, at the time she had been, she'd been a chiropractor since she was born. Uh, her whole family has very big proponents of chiropractic, uh, and, you know, struggling student, couple kids in undergrad, you know, we were on Medicaid and that's covered, uh, chiropractic's covered. So she kind of tricked me <laughs> into going to see a chiropractor cause I didn't know anything about it and. So I went and, you know, the person I met, you know, her name was Dr. Lori Elliott. If she's listening, she practices in Lincoln, Nebraska. 
uh, an absolute ambassador for chiropractic. Um, I'm very evidence-based, very logical, scientifically minded. And it was just really the perfect person at the perfect time. And yeah, it, 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 this is my chiropractic miracle, my chiropractic story. But in two adjustments, I was pain-free. Uh, and wow. I was just, I was flabbergasted. I mean, a profession that I knew very little about um, that, you know, had been stereotyped to me through my family and, and friends. Um, I'm very evidence-based. And I was like, there, there has to be something to this. I was just like, wow, whoa, this is incredible. So she let me shadow with her and she very scientific minded. She had her master's, I think in biochemistry and we were very like-minded and it was just the perfect person to introduce chiropractic to me. And I pulled out of my master's PhD track and I went to Palmer College of Chiropractic and that is my chiropractic story. And, you know, I really, you know, as, as a professor, it's really kind of interesting uh, having that experience and seeing some students and you can really tell the difference in the students that I teach um, that have that passion. They have that chiropractic story that led them into it. They had that event um, that really kind of invigorated and make them passionate about the profession. And you can tell they're just, they're really motivated. They're there to learn. Uh, they're there every day. And I see those people and I'm like, I know you, I was that person. Yep. And it's just kind of a neat thing uh, being on the other side of the fence as a professor now. Uh, and that was always my goal um, to see that. So that's, I guess that's a little bit about me. Uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff I could talk. That's great, Dr. Krabby. You know, when I got here at uh, Graceland in 2017, um, after about a year of being here, see, I was the first chiropractor they had ever hired. So I teach at the undergraduate level. So it was really odd for a chiropractor to be coming in, you know, because I don't have the PhD. I had a master's. And it was about a year later, the guys that actually hired me, um, Dr. Gatsky and Dr. Miller, if they're listening, they're probably going to get a kick out of this. They told me that they were really surprised when I came and did my on-campus interview because I was not the chiropractor that they expected. It's, it's funny. It's like everybody has this idea in their mind of what a chiropractor is. And it's that crazy guy down at the street corner. <laughs> and then they realize, oh, you uh, have a lot of training. You are evidence-based. What a weird concept. So that's fantastic. You were in, you were an ambassador as well. Right. And then the students, you know, that was the first time, I think, uh, according to one of the biology professors, we hadn't had a uh, student from Graceland go into chiropractic for, I think over 10 years. And I think since 2017, we've had about four. So that's I can't take the credit for it, but at least, you know, maybe they, they were like, Hey, well, maybe this is the profession to go for. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. That's neat. Yeah. So can you tell our listeners, so you're a board member for the Council on Nutrition, so that is mm -hmm. ultimately why we're here, um, the ACA, the American Chiropractic Association Council on Nutrition. Uh, you've been a board member. That's how we got connected a couple of years ago. Uh, can you tell us about your position and, and what do you do? Uh, the director of research has oversight on uh, a bunch of different things, and obviously, um, you know, Two of those things. Well, the first was uh, nutritional perspectives. That's that's kind of the parent journal and the big journal of uh, the ACA Council on Nutrition. Um, there were a lot of uh, 
uh, tedious but background updates that needed to needed to occur. Um, it was a great journal. It's been around for a while. Um, it's very well respected. It's peer reviewed, um, but it, for lack of a better term, it just needed some TLC. And there were a lot of things that needed to be updated in the background. Um, very tedious things um, that you don't get a lot of credit for, but require just incredible amounts of time to get done. Um, and I've been really proud of those changes um, in bringing thing up to uh, bringing everything up to speed, um, kind of setting the standards uh, for the next generation of chiropractors and diplomats uh, that end up publishing articles in there. And I'm I'm pretty proud of what what we've accomplished. The other thing, um, I had a, a a laundry list. I remember um, I presented this to to Jesse Manning. And uh, he's kind of, uh, Jesse and Katie are kind of, they make everything work <laughs> in the Council right. on Nutrition. I don't know what better way to say it, but if something needs to get done in anything that does get done, it's ultimately due to their direction. Um, so really a big, huge, the largest shout out I could possibly give without breaking a microphone or somebody's eardrums would be out to Katie and Jesse for everything that they do. Kind of the unsung heroes in the Council of, of Nutrition that really don't get the credit that they deserve. Um, they really keep things organized and um, just great people, wonderful to work with them. But, you know, um, and this bleeds into to probably other questions and other things we could talk about. But, you know, I've been just like you, a uh, chiropractor for a very long period of time. And you know, very nutrition oriented. Um, that's my background. That's ultimately my passion. But, you know, I would see things, you know, whether it was the journal Nutritional Perspectives of the ACA Council on Nutrition, um, or I would see something about nutrition and chiropractic, and I would see recommendations or a symposium or whatever. And, you know, maybe you know, I hold very high standards and I'd be like, eh, that, that could be a little bit better. And, I would sit on the sidelines like many of us do, and it's really easy to sit and throw stones at a glass house. It's a lot harder to actually do something about it. So, you know, I would sit there in my classes and be like, you know, I really wish this would be a little bit better. It's such, it's such a rough gem that if somebody would just polish this, I mean, this could really be something special. And one day, and it was really pretty much after I got my diplomat, I was like, you know what? it's time to get off the sidelines. It's time to quit complaining about things and actually be a person that influences the change. And, you know, it's really easy to sit there and say, oh, things aren't great. It's a lot, it's, it's a much bigger deal to dedicate your time and energy. And, you know, as you know, you're a director as well. We do this because we're passionate about what we do. We don't get paid for this. We love doing this this is a really neat thing to be involved in. And we're very passionate about it. I am too, just like you are about what you're doing. Nutrition on a mission. That's your baby. This is a, such a cool thing to do. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to get involved. How do I get involved? And it was just, you know, just kind of like my chiropractic story, right person, right place, right time. The directorship for research had opened up. That was my bread and butter. And I was like, let's do this. And I had a whole bunch of ideas and it was just the perfect platform to do that. And one of the big ideas I had was, hey, you know what? 
I think, well, I know I've read all the research and I've done papers on this, but one demographic that really, really, if you look at the research and the statistics and, you know, if they're asked the question, a student, right, whether we're talking undergrad, but in this case, graduate or professional chiropractic, would you be interested in doing research? It's near 100%. The interest, the desire is there. They don't know what to do. I remember my first paper. I'm sure, Dr. Gieselman, you remember your first paper, Drew. I remember, I'm sure you remember your first paper. How do I get from point A to, you don't even know where to start. And, you know, the paper that I did, that was it, looking at the barriers. What are the barriers that are stopping these students that could be the next major clinical academic? That, you know, that's one thing people forget about in chiropractic. Yes, we need the chiropractors out there, the professionals treating patients. Fantastic. But some of them need to choose an alternative path and become clinical academics and do the research that facilitates everything that we do. And you, you, you really can't fan that flame if you don't have an outlet for this. And, you know, just so one of my suggestions was, why don't we create a student journal? And it ended up being the first student journal ever of nutrition. And it was, oh man, uh, you know, if anybody out there is an editor, associate editor, whatever, and you've ever had to deal with any of the background stuff of the journal, talk about a lot of tireless work. I mean, I, I talked to a couple other editors of journal and the journal itself will take every minute of the day if you'll let it have it. There is so much work to do constantly in the background and you have to be really passionate and want to do that. And I am, I think this is such a neat thing. And I love working with students as both of you do as well. It's, it's, it's very empowering. It's, it's just such a neat thing. You know, I, I would equate it to giving adjustment. You know, you have this patient coming in, they have this problem, you know, what you're doing is going to help them, whatever that specific thing is. And it's really neat to see their progression in care. It's no different than working with a student and seeing that little light bulb go off. It's, it's just a right. neat thing. And, and we have that appreciation for it, but not all people do. So seeing that light bulb go off in a direction that was previously unknown to them, like research, that's like the greatest thing ever. So starting the, the, the sister journal, we'll call it of nutritional perspectives. We call it nutritional foundations and it's peer reviewed. And we're working with students from Graceland working at students from University of Bridgeport. We're working with students from National. We're working with students from Palmer. And it's just simply fantastic. And I, I couldn't be more proud of what all of us have done because many people have contributed to that. You have quite a bit, Dr. Gieselman, and I appreciate all your help in that regard. Drew and both of you have published an article in there, which was fantastic. And thank you for doing that. And you know, I'm just really happy that that's available because otherwise, you know, you may have never published and had that experience. And now looking at that for you, Drew, hey, you know what? This was kind of a big deal on it at the first time, but I think I can do it again. Like, it's not as daunting as it was. Like, I get it now. I get how this works. I could do this again. And that's a neat thing. And we need people like you, Drew, contributing. And that's just such a neat thing. And it's something that would was previously unavailable to you that is available to you now. And hopefully, you know, maybe that lights your flame to do more research on whatever you're passionate about. Sorry, I, I, it's the professor and me, I can talk for hours. So just- No, that's, you know, 
that is great. The students tell me that I get on tangents all the time. Uh, and I'm sure Drew can attest to that one. He's taken a few of my classes. So those tangents, when they come, they they come nice and strong. So I completely they do. agree. They do. Yeah. And they're always relevant. At least I think they're always relevant in my mind. Yeah, me too, right? Every every class I can go down, and some of my students know exactly. There's some trigger words that I have that if they're tired of taking notes, uh-huh. they'll just be like, hey, Dr. James, what do you think about X, Y, Z? Well, I'm glad you asked. So then that's the that's it for discussion for the day. Now it's just right. <laughs> me I up know. there talking. So I'm, I'm yeah, the same no, way. I, I definitely remember the first – you know, the first paper I ever did, the first paper I ever did was to uh, get my diplomate. And man, uh-huh. it was, oh, that was daunting. Like it was always one of those things that to me, it was like a chase. It was like, <laughs> you know, unless example. you have tried to publish and uh, have gotten those rejection letters, I mean, Ugh. it's almost like just the adrenaline rush of, okay, I'm going to send it off. And now is it going to get accepted now? Like you think you've done everything, you've edited it perfectly to that journal. Oh yeah, and we appreciate you submitting, but not at this time. And then you find a new journal, and it's well now I got to re-edit. So I I quickly learned to keep the original copy, and just have multiple like sub copies of things that we edit. Been there, that has been that. my biggest. Oh, it's like a rough. rite of passage, isn't it? It is. You kind of need to go through that to realize how difficult it can you, really be. You know, the first time, even once you finally get a journal that is, accepts it enough to read it the first time, they send back edits, and they want you to add one little line in, like, the third paragraph that completely changes all your references. Like, that that was the time that I quickly do. okay, I need to have an original copy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, you know, I, I was an undergrad and I had to turn, you know, my paper into Dr. James. He was like, you know, you know, maybe this is, you know, publishable. Let me let me look at it and edit it for you. And I, I got a paper back with red lines and, and words everywhere on the paper. I'm like, I thought I you said this was a student, good paper. And that that's a oh, that's such a good example. I tell them the more feedback you get, that means somebody sees something special in what you did. It just needs to be better developed. So he knew that he was like, this is workable. And I think there's a great paper here and I'm going to challenge you to make it great. And that's why he spent so much time on it. And I do the same thing. That's, that's great. That's a really good example. We've had about four. I've had about four because it, it was for our sport nutrition class. And, and Drew was the first class that um, got published. He was the first one to be published from that. I mean, that was hands down probably one of my top three maybe top two moments like in teaching so far, like just being able to share that with him. I mean, cause that was a huge task. And I knew what that meant as a doctor here three years ago with my first paper here, you are an undergrad, like the things that you can do now that you have the first one under your belt. And now we've had three more or we have at least three that are going through the process. And I always tell them, look, I will, I will grade this like a senior in college. I will give you that sure. feedback. But if you think you want to publish, I'll put my editor hat on and just want you to know, don't be shocked when you get that, you know, feedback back. Like it's, it's nothing but constructive criticism. That's all. It is. And that, oh, that's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. this probably isn't the best example and I really don't mean to offend anybody, but you know, sometimes students are just to get them prepared when it comes back from peer review, uh, cause that's such a, 
That's such an eye opener for anybody. It was an eye opener for it me. Is. You shared your experience. Right. It was an eye opener for you as well. I say, listen, you're going to look at this and this is your baby. I mean, you've spent months on this. I mean, this is your heart and soul, sweat and tears here. And somebody looked at it and they're like, yeah, it's all right. But, <laughs> right. you know, and half the paper That's probably how Drew felt. I'm like, you know, here's what's here's what it's going to feel like. And I, I think this is this kind of conveys the true feeling. You know, if you're a guy, they're going to say your girlfriend's ugly. If you're a girl, <laughs> they're going to say your boyfriend's ugly. And you're going to take it to heart. And it's yeah. very personal research because you spend so much time. You're so connected to it. And you've read it and you went over it mm-hmm. every single time. Like, oh, I, I need to change this word. It's going to make it just perfect. And you sit and fine tune it and fine tune it. And you're like, it's ready. <laughs> it's not ready. It's not ready. It's nope. not even remotely ready. <laughs> those those rejections, man. Yeah. Let me tell you, those rejections hurt just yep. like real life rejection, yeah. like in a relationship. You're like, really? Oh, I know, right? It's like sometimes you get that that odd student evaluation that's out of left field, and you're like, <laughs> and you're like calling the administrative system. You're like, is there a problem here? Like, are you sure this is for my class? <laughs> Like, what are they talking about? Yeah, I know. I know. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. And I and I treated my paper as if it was an assignment for class. So I had, you know, many, you know, 4 a.m., you know, nights and mornings working on it. And, you know, I turned it in. It, you know, this is an A. Like, this is an A for the, the paper. And then, you know, two weeks later, I get it back from, you know, Dr. James and then back from the reviews. And it's like, this looks like a D or an F if you if you look at it from that perspective. Yeah. So yeah, but it comes with experience. The next one you do when you submit yep. it, it'll probably be between a C and a B. And then yeah. once you get your writing experience <laughs> down, it'll be old hat for you. And it, it's really just you just need Definitely. exposure to it. You get used to it. It's just it's just a different way of looking at yeah. things. Um, but yeah, I mean, one one thing that Doctor Gieselman said that is ever so true. Um, that was hard for both of us, for Dr. Gieselman and I to, to really accept and really any first time author is that he used the word constructive criticism and it truly is, mm-hmm. you know, if someone's going to spend the time reviewing it and offer corrections, they see value in what you did. Mm-hmm. So you have to be dispassionate about it and separate yourself from the opinions and realize that first of all, they're willing to work with you, which means they're going to accept it. So let's, let's find a common ground. Let's do those and let's work with them because it's going to get published. Just not maybe as quickly as you thought. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you know, I see that, you know, a lot in, you know, when I take it to the coaching side of things, you know, if I'm working with an athlete, they don't, you know, they don't see why, you know, I may be working with them over something, you know, specific, a specific move. If we're talking wrestling, Um, you know, it may not work right away. Um, but, you know, we just keep working, you know, and, and I'm willing to put the time in to, to show you this because, you know, I know you're, you're going to break through. You're going to get it. It's going to click one day. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's, you know, very similar with, you know, the editing. and Yeah, and publishing I, side I, I think that's a relevant analogy. I think that's good. I mean, I always I yeah, had a so, professor back in grad school. He always said, as long as you're getting feedback, you're doing something right. He said the day that I stop coaching you or I stop providing you feedback. I've moved on. And that was, I mean, that was harsh. I mean, but again, grad school, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is, but I mean, he was, it was an absolute truth. Like as long as we were getting feedback and we were, he saw value, but I mean, if it was one of those things where I've given you feedback, the same thing time and time again, and you choose to ignore it time and time again, like 
I mean, if you submit a paper, like on the paper side, you submit a paper, here are the edits, and they come back with all the feedback. Like, if I don't change anything, I can't expect to submit that right back and be like, here you go again. And well, I still see students do that. Yeah. I mean, I still, on the grad, on the undergrad level, student, you give them all these feedback, and then they, you know, that's their rough draft, and you expect all great things on their final draft. And I yeah. look at it, and I'm like, this is the same thing. Have you done anything? <laughs> and that's frustrating for me. Yeah, we've, we've, yeah, us both being um, editors for Nutritional Perspective, we've seen our share of, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to remain, go ahead. So, so let's, I was going to say, let's switch gears a little bit. And, you know, you kind of talked about um, the board and you, you've talked a little bit about the, sure. the publishing and the editing and you, you've told us, told us why you've chosen chiropractic as a career, you know, it led you a little bit away from nutrition. What led you kind of back into? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so I practiced for a little over a decade. Um, I uh, did nutrition. Um, I learned very early on in practice, um, at least for me. Obviously, everyone has, it's going to work differently for everyone. But, you know, for, for maybe those listening that aren't professionals or maybe those who are professionals that are listening that are looking uh, to truly do nutritional consulting, you know, because if you look at the research, I think the last paper came out, I'm going to quote research, of course I am, um, 2015-16, the last big statistical uh, survey that came out for chiropractors, and it was quite a big increase. It says 97% of practicing chiropractors uh, use utilize some form of nutrition every single day in practice. Now, it doesn't tell you that they're all doing nutritional counseling, and anybody that's a chiropractor is going to know that probably the majority of that is simply promoting and selling supplements. Mm -hmm. um, and that's great. Um, however, I did nutritional counseling and that kind of scratched my itch and, and kind of kept me uh, honest with nutrition and up to date. And one of the first things I learned um, is <laughs> anybody who's going to chiropractor is going to really appreciate this. So whatever philosophy of chiropractic uh, practice management, whatever it is, it really doesn't matter. So, you know, in our practice, it was about 15 minutes a patient. Other practices, it may be um, considerably less, but 15 minutes is, is how we did things. And, you know, at first when you're practicing, you know, you're getting out and practicing stuff, you have nothing but time. Time is a huge resource for you. And so I would spend additional time, you know, kind of encouraging, because, you know, the first patient base you're going to tax, so to speak, um, is the patients you have rapport with. And those are your chiropractic patients. And you're going to try to, you know, you see some issues, you know, you have all of this diagnostic, these physical exam results, all this information on your patient. It's real clear what nutrition could do for them, especially if you understand it and, and you know how to apply it. And those are the, the people that you have rapport with. The existing patients are the one that you convert to nutritional patients. Um, and it just makes sense. I mean, we're very wellness oriented. It, it would be, you know, leaving some money on the table if you didn't approach uh, you didn't encompass all aspects of health, just, you know, biomechanical and, and nervous system. So when I didn't have a lot of time and I was first starting, you know, you don't have a lot of patients, I would spend whatever time I had throughout the day with them, you know, so maybe an hour answering questions and stuff and so on and so forth. But as my, as my, as my patient base grew, uh, my time started to become more aligned with about 15 minutes. 
Well, it, it was kind of a rough transition. I learned very early on that you need to wear two hats if you're going to do nutrition and you're going to do nutritional counseling because I was finding that, you know, the patients that were coming in in those 15 minute blocks, they were used to, or, you know, if they were nutritional patients as well, they were asking questions. And all of a sudden that 15 minute appointment became 20, 25, 30 minutes. And anybody that's a chiropractor can relate to this. You have now made every, every single solitary person after that appointment late for the rest of the day. Yep. And if there's one thing currently a modern chiropractic owns is time. You can have patients that totally understand and respect the fact that if they have an appointment at six, they're seen at six and probably before, and they're out there in 10 minutes and they can count on that and they can go home and have dinner with their families and continue with the rest of their day or night in this matter. And we own that. And that's a very important thing. And I found really early on that, you know, I had a lot of dissatisfaction with my patients because I was so late. So one of the things I, I, I figured out is you got to wear two hats. So Monday through Friday, chiropractic hat, that's it. Saturday. And then sometimes if I had so many patients, I need to move it to Sunday. I do nutritional counseling on Saturday and partially on Sunday two different hats. So when a patient would come in, uh, in my practice, I would say, Hey, that's a fantastic question. You know, you're already under care or maybe they should be. Um, this is something, these are the type of things we've talked about and discussed. I think you need to make an appointment for Saturday. Let's go ahead and set you up for that. And we can explore this, you know, ad nauseum. We can answer those types of questions and I can dedicate my time without being in a hurry to you and sit and not just hear, but listen. To what you're saying and that was a really kind of an, an epiphany for me and when i did that things got fundamentally better now of course the patients that were the early patients that were still with me that you know they were able to ask those questions and stuff and when i changed that model of care yeah of course i lost some patients that was kind of like value added that now was value lost um, and that happens but as far as me being able to manage my time better and be able to have an effective chiropractic practice and nutritional counseling, that's what worked for me. That was the magic thing. And, you know, I would be lying if I came up with that idea. You know, every, there's nothing that's new anymore. So you need to find somebody that's doing what you want to do well and talk to them, copy them, ask them those questions, and then replicate that. And that's exactly what I did. And that was, that was a really important moment in my practice because, you know, the nutrition part of it was important, but, you know, obviously the chiropractic was the moneymaker, but the nutrition part in the background, it was growing every single year to the point where it was completely Saturday and completely Sunday. And I was starting to wonder whether or not maybe one of the chiropractic days should honestly go to a half day um, because I was seeing so many patients and I was starting to get patients um, outside of my natural patient base. They were referrals. And the second you get referrals when you're doing nutrition, you're doing something right. People are talking. And really the last thing I would like to add for maybe the students that are listening or, or really anybody, um, one of the most effective things that I ever did when I graduated at a chiropractor, this is real funny. You want me to share like a, a infamous story, kind of famous story? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So this is kind of an interesting story. So for me. Um, I don't know how much I want to share because I don't want people to think less of me. Um, but you know, I went through, I went through some struggles. I'm going to give you the truncated version of this. So 
when I graduated, I had an associateship lined up. My wife had a full ride to law school. So we had to go back to Omaha, Nebraska. The chiropractor I was set up, he was a PI chiropractor. The first day of practice when I walked in, I was approached by the FBI. He was being investigated. He lost his license. I had no job. That was neat. There's much more to that story, but I don't feel comfortable sharing it. So I didn't have a job. I mean, I was I was doing all sorts of odd jobs. We had two kids. I had a wife that was in school. I needed to support the family. I was sleeping about four hours a day and working three odd jobs. And I was desperately looking to associate to be a chiropractor. I finally found a guy, which will remain unmentioned. He uh, and I signed a year contract as his associate. He had a huge practice, lots of money, owned this big giant building that had, you know, MDs and DOs and PTs, had a dentist, had all these offices, made lots of money. And I'm like, all right, this is it. This I have a lot to learn here. This is great. This is a good environment uh, to expand in. And uh, he quit paying me after the second month. So after the sixth month, he fired me because he said he couldn't afford me, which is a hilarious level of irony because he hadn't been paying me. So how could he not afford me? I sued him. I have a lien on his house, which is cute. So if he ever sells his house, I'll get my money back. Fun story, right? So I lost that job. How how crazy do you want me to get? Okay. So I lost that job, right? Wife decides when I come home and tell her I lost that job, it's time for a divorce. Things couldn't get better. So this is a good story. So Anybody who's out there that's a student, you can look at this and say, you know what? Um, I don't think it could quite get worse than what happened with Dr. Krabby. So when you're having the absolute worst day in practice and you don't think it could get worse, remember back to this story and then take a look at what I've done and where I'm at. So so anyway, got fired, got, got a divorce. I have two kids. I have no money. I have no job. My mom moved to Nebraska. I lived in my mom's basement. I was that guy. No joke. So my mom is well off. And so she lived in a very nice subdivision and it had a gargantuan park in the middle of it. So I had 50-50 custody with my kids and I went to this big giant park every Tuesday, Thursday in the weekend that I got them. And we had a blast. And there was this other father that was there with his two kids, Jojo and Jada, and, you know, uh, Jaden, and they would sit and play and stuff. And, you know, one day we got to talking, I don't know, after several weeks. And he was like, you know what? He's like, I never asked you, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm an unemployed chiropractor. <laughs> and he go, and I said, what do you do? He goes, I'm a chiropractor looking for an associate. No. Wow. So this guy, and I'll go ahead and mention his name in case he's hearing this, just a fantastic human being taught me everything that I know about chiropractic. His name is Dr. Tom Siwa. Well, guess who he's the father of? This is way before any of that happened. Jojo Siwa. That Tom Siwa. Have you ever heard of Jojo Siwa? You know, the little bows and all that. Yeah. I mean, I remember he lived two houses down for me. I, that's the guy that I practiced with that, that, that's the father. So, you know, really kind of an interesting you know, that's my claim to fame, really interesting story, but he taught me everything about chiropractic and, you know, they always say, you know, what you throw out in the universe is what you get back and everything's faded and meant to be. Um, that was meant to be. And that was just, that couldn't have happened at a better time. And I needed that on so many levels and that kind of reinvigorated me and 
here we are. So, you know, whenever I'm having a bad day, you know, my Rocky story, uh, I don't want to wake up. I don't want to go teach class. I don't want to finish this paper. I don't want to edit one of Gieselman's students' papers or something <laughs> like that. I'm like, you know what? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember how bad it was? Why don't you open up your eyes and take a look around? The world's pretty, world's been pretty good to you. You know, you, you've, you've been in your trials, but it's a pretty great place. You should be pretty happy with what you got. And, and I really am. And that reminds me, and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you can do this. You should be really happy. And I am. It's, it's a really great place, and I'm really happy with what I've uh, achieved and, you know, super happy to be, you know, asked to be on this podcast. What an honor, you know, uh, to be talking with you here tonight. So, sorry, Soapbox. No, that is a great story. I didn't realize how much we had in common because very few people, it's a story that I don't tell and I'm not going to start here. Like I think Drew's heard it a time or two, Sure. but I also worked. My first job out of school was also in a PI clinic. I managed to make it to my second day before there was a federal investigator in there. So I can relate. So there's a reason. It's funny that we're both at higher ed now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that could be a job. We had a lot of shared experiences. People ideas, but that's well. I don't even know that about you, and I know you. Not many people do. It's not a story that I. I'm I'm under no, you know, non-disclosure or anything. But I just like second day. I was not prepared. I was not. They had not prepared me for that. (laughs) You were just that much better. You made it to the second day. I didn't even make it to the front door, and it wasn't even able to sign a contract. I had my contract signed, so that was that was the other thing. <laughs> I was there, so oh my goodness. well, I mean that's you know that's a great story though. I mean, so I'm you know you've been in the profession for a while now. Like, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen since you know you started? The biggest changes, um, I guess, I guess the first uh, important question is from what perspective? Like, as a nutritional professional. Um, as a chiropractor, as an educator, um, as somebody involved in research and, and publishing, and and in, in from what lens, I guess, do you want me to approach? Well, the professor in me will say all of the above, right? I'll give you A, B, C, or D, all of the above. I mean, I mean, I guess I'll give you the example from my perspective. Like okay. when I was starting out in chiropractic school, I, I mean, they obviously existed, but I didn't know there were specialties out there. I had no idea. I had no idea until I graduated and started looking. And then I thought even then there were only three specialties. But if you like take a look at all the specialty councils now through the ACA, like, yeah, there's nutrition. Yeah, there's sports. But I mean, it has exploded, I feel like, in the last 10 years. And I'm probably not doing it justice. I probably just was you know, ignorant beforehand. I just didn't know he existed. But well, I've never we're... seen us as sure. specialists. And so now we're seeing, you know, I, Personally, I'm seeing a lot, and obviously, I see the sports side being on the sports council, and of also course. the council on nutrition. Um, but you know, I see us as being one of the premier, and, and not bashing any of the other, uh, you know, councils. But I mean, I just know yeah. of a lot of nutrition oriented, and like you said, 96, 97 percent of all practitioners using nutrition. Yes. I mean, I just see this field as as exploding as a specialty. Yeah, it's the rough gem that I mentioned that needs polished. It's there. It's it's got everything in place, everything in play. We just need to get we need we have 
ushered in uh, a new era, some young blood, some fresh blood, some passionate blood uh, that are very energized to change it. I mean, podcast, who would have thought of it? Student journal, who would have thought of it? I mean, the, the amount of innovation and change that we've had is just, it's unprecedented and it was needed. And I'm really happy to be ushering this in and sharing it with students and getting excited about it. Um, you know, so from your perspective, what you talked about with the specialty councils, you know, one of the things I've seen um, uh, that, you know, um, I guess I have a free mic, so I'm going to share my opinion. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking to Dr. Krabby, not some automaton, right? So you're going to get my flavors. Um, I have a, a, a philosophical problem right now, um, and I have a student, and I'm sure you do. Uh, or will or have, um, and you know the the diplomat nutrition is a little bit different because that's the American Clinical Board um, of Nutrition. But one of the things I tell students, and you know, I am I am the biggest proponent and cheerleader in the background uh, for anything related to chiropractic and anything related to nutrition and all of the things that surround that all of the time, a hundred percent. You know that's. Uh, the the council, the ACA, the diplomat, all of those things have been so good to me. Uh, and I feel like I'm just indebted to them and I'm happy to do anything I can to facilitate change. That being said, when I see a student, um, you know, you're, you're in a master's program and undergrad, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and correct. I'm just in, you know, chiropractic program and then a couple master's programs like you. And but in the chiropractic program, I'll see students because I teach a, you know, one of the first courses they take is evidence-based clinical practices where they kind of learn about research. Surprise, I teach a research class, but they're already interested in doing a diplomat. They're ready to shell out in addition to the amount of money they're paying to be a, a chiropractor, to learn, to go to school, to take boards, all those costs and expenses, they're ready to jump into diplomat right, right away. And you know, I don't care which diplomat it is. I always tell them, you do not know what you do not know. I go, you need to investigate this fully. I do not think, you know, you should be able to in your very first, your first day of school to be indoctrinated into some point of view without experiencing everything and coming up to your own decision. Um, I really think that should be reserved to maybe the last year of school when you've thought about where you're going to practice, you have an idea, associate, independent contractor, open your own, where it's going to be, how that diplomat can add value. Uh, You really don't know that yet. And uh, I get really, I'm probably going to upset a lot of people. And honestly, I don't care. But that indoctrination, it needs to stop. And if a student comes and asks me, hey, I'm, I'm a first quarter, a first trimester student because Palmer's transitioning from quarters to trimesters, that's mm-hmm. fun. Um, hey, should I do this diplomat? My first answer is no. And they get, they're a bit shell-shocked. Like they just assume that I would be, oh, I think that's fantastic. You should totally, in addition to the impossible credit load and the amount of time and energy and effort that's going to be necessary mm-hmm. to to, you know, successfully matriculate through college. In addition to that, to the studying that apparently you won't be doing to dedicate your weekends and evenings to going to these seminars and taking these exams and doing all this education. No, absolutely not. You should be doing that. You should be laser focused on your one goal, 
once you figure out what you want to do, that can add value. And I certainly think it can. And I'm a big proponent then. But initially, oh, all these students, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a bit alphabet soup. How many letters can I get behind my name? I mean, you and I are in a competition, apparently. But how many letters can I get behind my name, right, that are actually meaningful, right? Not right. just like, hey, what's that for? Typing? Yeah. Basket weaving? You know, shoelace tying in under 30 seconds or something. You know, I always tell my students, like, what's that for? I'm like, basket weaving. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's for basket weaving. It's all. I have bad. students ask me if I really know what mine mean. I said, yes, I know what mine mean. <laughs> yeah, we just make them up, right? They're like, hey, let's put these vowels and consonants together. It's got to mean something, right? <laughs> but but anyway, yeah, one of the biggest changes in, you know, on, on the one side, you know, I'm looking at it through, you know, kind of a. A negative lens but on the positive it's just uh students are really driven like they they want to maximize their their learning they want to they want added value and it's you know it's simply incredible and you know going back to the the student journal now that it's available and you know that i've done that study exploring barriers and at least a chiropractic student population to get an idea of like why aren't you publishing? Like, what's the big thing that's stopping you? We kind of talked about that before, but it was a really, it was a really pivotal thing for me to do that because I needed to prove to myself uh, when I made that proposal to the Council on Nutrition that like, this is viable. This can grow. This is real. There's going to be students that want to do this and um, having it be available. It's going to be a slow start, but it's just going to grow. It's like momentum. It's like this this, this, this tiny little snowball rolling down a hill that turns into this gargantuan boulder, right? And that's what's happening now. I mean, every year, I mean, we're doubling the amount of articles that are being put out and, you know, word is spreading. And I'm, I'm just really proud of that. I just, I just think it's a really neat thing. Oh, absolutely. So, you, you know, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I was the student that always felt like I was behind because all of my classmates really? were going to weekend seminars and here I am just graduating with a doctorate of chiropractic degree. I felt like when I graduated, I was like, man, is this it? I mean, and that was a huge accomplishment. I mean, that's what I had set out for. I took out a massive amount of money for it. Exactly. But I look around and, and all my classmates are like getting these certifications and then there's motion palpation was a big one when I was going through school and, and I got done and I was like, wow. And then the, the whole idea for going back to nutrition only started in private practice, you know, as I told you about day two, single <laughs> federal investigator, but it really was great because that's where I had so many patients. I mean, those patients weren't coming in for nutrition, but I had patients start asking me about nutrition and their demeanor changed. It, it was a craving for information. They were bombarded with stuff online and I joke with students all the time, like students always tell me nutrition is the hardest class I teach, which I don't think so. I just think there's so much out there that it's hard to sift through and decide what's what what do I need to focus on? It's not that it's hard, in my opinion. Obviously, here I am implementing well, all that stuff. I mean, I don't know that it's hard. It's just so much. And, I, and for a right. lot of students, they, they crave that information. But like everybody else nowadays, they want the information now. Like, what's the now information that I need? 
Right, they're interesting in the stories. They're interesting when you're like, hey, this new paper came out today. It's kind of a relationship right. to the topic we're going to go over. They're super interested in that. They're not interested in learning the things that allow them to understand what we're talking about. Right. And I get it. I mean, that's fun, but then your class turns into a blog, right? Right. And there's not a lot of learning. And, you know, you're an educational program. I'm an educational program. There's competencies that need to be met. And they're not going to. to, I mean, I've I've joked with Drew that I've probably used. So sorry to my chemistry teacher in, in, in chiropractic college, but I did not buy the book in school. When I was in school, I should have. If you'd seen my grades, you'd have been amazed that I actually passed that course. But I have used medical biochemistry more now to understand the different pathways and the nutrition. Oh, and it, 100%. man, if I had had that book, I can oh, only no. imagine how right? easy that class could have been. Like, it's now just that, opening it during the class. <laughs> there you go. It That's is. I probably bought more books post class than I did at the beginning of class. You and me both. I, I was back uh, in chiropractic school and uh, uh, you still had to pay for it, but you could test out of it. You could do a competency test. And I had um, I had a year of uh, biochem in undergrad and uh, I didn't have to take any biochem in chiropractic school. I had to pay for the damn class, but I didn't have to take any of it. I got an A on the, you had to get an A or higher. Well, I don't know what a higher is. I guess 100% would be super A or whatever. But you had to get an A, and I got an A for for both Biochem one and two, so I didn't have to take it, um, which was great. Um, but yeah. those were the best classes that I ever took. Mm-hmm. Our Biochem class, you got a booklet. It was essay. That's scary. Uh, that that would have to be one of the top three hardest classes I've ever taken. Uh, and I am absolutely proud of the B minus I got in both of them. To me, that was like, I don't know, a thousand percent. That was like super A, a like with 50,000 pluses behind it. I'm so I proud just, of that. I still have those. I, I look at those and I'm like, I'm using this stuff today. I'm yeah. like, like this, I remember his name was Professor Markwell at the University of Nebraska. Brilliant. This guy, this guy was was had color blindness and he studied his specialty was studying uh studying wavelengths of color in plants wow yeah but he was brilliant he was like the leader in the nation on it and i was Mm -hmm. like and i would ask him questions and i mean he would answer like you and i are talking about i don't know the game or something and i'm like whoa slow down there i have no idea what nine of the ten words you just said were can you explain all of those words so i can understand what you said but he was like he was my go-to guy and you know that brings me another story like when i was in chiropractic school this is crazy so this is back when the internet was black and white like i remember it was a really big deal i mean it was a big deal like my parents were like this was really expensive jeff they got me a 50 megahertz processor Whoa. <laughs> 56K modem. Top Ooh. of the line. Right? If you can, mm-hmm. any of the listeners can even fathom that now, right? So the internet was black and white. Every now and then you'd run into a site and you're like, whoa, they have colored text. Whoa. But there were no pictures. There was nothing, right? So, you know, we take for granted that, like, you know, you can go on Reddit or there's forums specific to whatever your interest is, right? 
And back then they had something called listservs, which are kind of like forums. And there was one called, uh, oh, I can't remember. It was like nutrition and fitness or whatever, but it was a huge one. There were like a million people that were on it. And the guy that ran it, I would always post in it because I was going through my RD program and I was super interested in nutrition and I would write on it. And, you know, I didn't realize that I didn't even think about it at the time, but there were all these big people that, you know, like Ironman magazine, muscle and fitness, you know, uh, all of those people were on there, you know, and I got contacted by all of them. And one of them I settled with and they're like, we want you to write for our magazine. They're like, if you can write even half as good as the topics you're talking about and the answers, because I would just, I was addicted to it. Like people would have questions and I would spend hours researching the best answer, pulling research. And this is, you know, this is back in like 92, right? Mm -hmm. And I just loved it. So I got, uh, you know, I, I wrote articles for magazines and I worked for a supplement company and designed supplements. And I did that in chiropractic school. Um, and you know, I got paid for all that. And that was very important money that we got, um, that we did so desperately needed. And, you know, it was pretty neat because I got to go to like Ironman's and Mr. Olympia's and Arnold classics. And I got to mingle in like the VIP with all these people, you know, you're talking about, you know, supplements today and the big manufacturers and the big people that promote them and the scientists and the researchers that are providing the research. I was there. I remember, I'll never forget this one. Uh, it was a Mr. O- no, it was an Arnold Classic, right? So it's in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, it was the second one I went to with the company I was with. And I'm not going to name any companies for obvious reasons for a podcast. But so I'm there and, and Metrex is really big, right? And Dr. Scott Connolly's like the, the father of Metrex. So he's there, right? And he's an MD and he thinks he knows everything. You don't, Scott. So... I was writing a book at the time uh, about the ketogenic diet, which my co-author finished and I didn't long story. We got in a huge argument on the floor about that. And, you know, I think my perspective, you know, which is a golden recollection of events, um, that <laughs> I owned him. Um, uh-huh. He may look at it a little bit differently and maybe the audience did, but I, I felt like I, I stood my ground. Like we were arguing verbally very very loudly like it had become like the sideshow event of arnold um because he was wrong and i was right ultimately because of course of course i was right um but that was really interesting but it was neat you know i remember having multiple conversations emails phone calls with like uh dan duquesne if you know if you remember who he is i mean underground steroid handbook i mean he was at the forefront of sports nutrition he was doing crazy stuff um, I remember having con- converse, uh, conversations with Anthony Almada, uh, like for example, like one of the first samples of creatine that came out from the California bodybuilding club in California. I had it. I was, I probably took one of the first doses of creatine and I think it was 89 or 90. The first pro hormones that came out, like androstenedione, androstenediol, mm-hmm. Patrick Arnold, who was a organic chemist at the university of, I was, I'm from Illinois from the University of Champaign or the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. He was an organic, he was a PhD there. And he knew the guy that I was working for very well. And he came up with the first ever uh, that ended up becoming a supplement, androstenedione and androstenediol. He literally sent us FedExes to it in a packet. It looked like, well, for lack of a better term, cocaine, right? It's just white powder. So we encapsulated it. I remember going to the DO office 
they're like, this will increase testosterone 20, 25% temporarily. So we encapsulated the amounts he said, and I took it and, you know, they tested my blood, you know, uh, for testosterone free, lightly bound, blah, 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 all the other stuff as well. And it went up 25%. It was very temporary. Went up like eh, about, I'd say peak at about two hours and then it started to go down. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is going to be really big. Like this supplement is going to fly off the shelves. And then some MDs got real smart and they found a way to take endosthenedione, which the Bulgarians and Russians used for powerlifting events because they wouldn't test positive mm -hmm. for steroids, um, to make a way that it would time release into your bloodstream. And that came up with a product called Medline, and it was transdermal. That thing was out of stock for the entire year. It was available until the FDA came in and said, you can't sell this because it actually raises testosterone. But that was a fun year of my life. That was some good stuff. I've, so I'm just trying to show you, I've been in the background with nutrition. I mean, that has just been my life in every single aspect. I've designed a supplement. I participated in research. Uh, I remember my RD program. I don't know if anybody remembers this. And then I'll just tell me to shut up at any time. But one of the reasons I went to the University of Nebraska was uh, they have a really good RD program and they have a lot of food science research. And I was interested, at least initially, in doing that. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the fat replacement called Olestra. Have you heard of that before? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Olestra was a neat thing because it's unabsorbable, right? It's a sucrose polyester. You cannot absorb it. So the idea was if we could make a product and put Olestra in it, it's going to taste, have the mouthfeel, the texture of fat, right? But none of the calories. And you're thinking, yeah, there's going to be a downside to that. And you would be yeah. correct. So when I was getting my, when I was going through the RD program, um, one of, they had huge food laboratories. Um, I forget which company it was. I can't, I can't remember. They were doing one of the studies there and I got to participate as a, as a research flunky, which means you do all the work, you get no credit. So they were testing Olestra and, you know, I was looking at the stuff and like the patients would be like, I, the, the, the first product was a potato chip. And they have regular potato chips and they have the lesser ones in patients, subjects, sorry, chiropractor, patients, right? Subjects could not tell the difference. Same crunch, same fatty feel, just savory, fantastic potato chip. They could not tell the difference. So I, and I tried one, one, and I was like, that's a potato chip. I'm like, you would have to convince me it was not a potato chip. So I was like, that's pretty cool. So as the study went on, I was like, there's got to be some, si oh, <laughs> there were some side effects to that. So I don't know what happened. I guess the FDA said, as long as you basically state all the cautionary stuff with Olestra for your product, you can market it as long as they don't go above the serving size. Okay. Now you and I both know, right? If there's a, this big bag of Doritos, potato chips, Lay's, whatever, and it says it has like 17.9 servings and it's like 6.3 chips. No one ever in the history of humans has counted out those chips and ate them. You eat either half the bag or the whole bag. And then what follows naturally, of course, is regret, right? So Olestra came out, potato chips, right? So we've all seen a drug commercial, right? And the drug commercials are classic. Like there's rainbows. There's leprechauns, there's unicorns, there's gold falling from the sky. 
everyone. It's just the best day. The sun, it's the perfect temperature. Everyone's so happy. But then in the background, you hear this guy may cause death, may cause, you know, loss of limbs, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, is this right so olestra was able to officially come out but they had to have the same dude in the background or or woman right the same guy mm -hmm. that's talking like a thousand miles a minute oh blah, blah, blah. but the problem is the last thing whoever was in charge of this i hope they were fired the last thing that was mentioned on the warnings is may cause anal seepage <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, that's product, a rough one. That product, that came very quickly and it ended even faster. And anyway, another claim to fame is that I was I was one of the researchers uncredited on the O. They and the chips were called "Come on, Oh Yeah's," kind of like "Oh Yeah," uh, anal secret, yeah. right? Oh Yeah, that's something <laughs> I was looking forward to in a potato chip. All right, um, but yeah, I mean, I've. I have about a thousand stories, but yeah, I have been interwoven with nutrition, whether I wanted to or not, constantly, all the time. It's, it's just something that I enjoy. I think it's neat. It's ever changing. And, you know, just like you said, as much as you think, you know, is the second you think you've got a handle on something, something will come out or somebody will present it or you'll read this other thing and you're like, I can admit I understand nothing. <laughs> yep. And it's the truth. So I'll stop here. I'm, I'm sorry. I talked too long. Yeah. So so we are about out of time. But, you know, with all of your experiences and your, your up-to-date research, um, if you had a crystal ball, what do you think the next big thing to come out in the field of nutrition is? Wow. Uh, like if – are we playing poker here? Am I, am I placing a bet? Um, I would say placing a bet. It's probably going to be related to longevity. Um, but okay. you know, what I think is not necessarily a new field of study. I mean, there's stuff, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I would say longevity in the next biggest, greatest thing that's probably going to have a extremely large clinical impact to pay very close attention to is uh, uh, fecal transplants of the microbiome. Um, oh boy, it, you know, we talk about taking prebiotics and probiotics okay. and all that stuff, but you know, most of the probiotics you take aren't species that, are actually, that actually exist in your microbiome. Secondly, most probiotics you take don't adhere. They do communicate with your existing microbiome, which is about 15 pounds, it's huge. Like there's more cells in your microbiome than there is in the human body. So that communication produces signaling molecules, which causes change. And that's fantastic. But, you know, a lot of manufacturers, and that's a litmus test for idiocy, they'll say, oh, yeah, you take this and it adheres to your, no, it doesn't. It doesn't adhere to your test. And those strains don't even exist in, in, in the human microbiome. But anyway, topic for another time. So what's going on with the, the fecal microbiota transplant? You can take a healthy donor that doesn't have your disease or that has proper species and strains and populations that are, we'll say, beneficial. And I mean, I know this is disgusting and that's not my goal here, but you take that feces and you literally implant it into somebody else's intestine and you take on those benefits. And it is very clinically significant, like huge. 
So this is, I'll end with a really disgusting thing. So one thing you can tell right off the bat, if something is legitimate and it's worth investing, because, you know, I think it costs, like if, if we're a drug company and we're producing a drug for R&D and taking it to the market, I think now we're between one and two billion from beginning to end. That's how much it costs. If, a, if pharmaceutical companies are investing in fecal microbiota, those transplants, it's legit. They are. And you're going to love this. They're freeze drying and encapsulating the feces in pill form. They're past phase two. They're in phase three clinical trials, which means it's oh going to be my. soon. That is going to be available for prescription that's going to do some serious mm -hmm. stuff. That is going to be a neat thing that unfortunately MDs are going to have access to, but DCs will not. Um, but yeah, that that's coming. That's coming in our lifetime. Longevity changes yeah. any day now. There, there's some serious stuff that's going to come out. I don't think quantity of life is going to change, but I do think we're going to have disease compression. I think somebody that maybe genetically is going to have Alzheimer's show up at 50. We might be able to push it to 55 or 60, maybe even later. Um, I think quality of life improvement is, is definitive, but you know, a flat limit, blah, 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 blah. I don't think we're going to see people living to be like 290. It's not, we're not going to be Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. We're not going to live for like hundreds of years or something. That's just not biologically possible, but quality of life being improved. <laughs> Like I would love to be in my seventies and be in retirement and have a body that acts like it's 30 or 40. I'm all on board with that. You you can do that for me. I'll pay money for that. I think others will pay money for that too. Sorry. Go ahead, Drew. Mm -hmm. No, that's part. That's perfect. We're definitely going to have you back on to, to talk about um, that and some, definitely. that's fascinating. Isn't that you know, I always I always tell my students like the gut microbiome was probably hands down one of the best classes I ever had in my master's oh, nutrition yeah. program. Agreed. It was just fascinating that the gut is connected to everything, and and that's definitely one the students know that if they get me on the gut, that oh, class yeah. period. See, Drew's shaking his head. That class period's done. I will just start ranting and just going down about We're how great it is. That bi-directional communication between the gut and the brain is through the vagus nerve. That's our bread and butter. We need to own yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the class I just finished up, I mean, the gut brain, the gut lung, like every, everything the gut has, you know, a, 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 you know, some effect on in some way. It's, it's crazy. I teach a whole class on that at another school, not, not Graceland, not Palmer. And, uh, it's really should be called now. They're calling for it to not be gut brain, but gut brain microbiota. Yeah. They're really, it's really three, um, distinct, but, uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, we've talked about that all day. I mean, crazy stuff. We'll, we'll keep really that in cool. mind because we'll we'll invite you back for sure. Oh, uh, so, I'll I'll talk as long as somebody has ears that aren't bleeding. So <laughs> for my talk, well, Jeff, we really appreciate you having on the having you on the podcast today. You know, it was great catching up. I mean, I miss those board meetings where we're on. I know, you know I'm overdue. Three years ago, three I'm years overdue. ago, you were talking about the journal. I was talking about a podcast. Those I ideas Isn't that they funny? were, and I still can't. I mean, I gotta be completely honest here. Full disclosure, everybody sure. listening. Yeah. If it weren't for Drew with the idea to have a podcast, it never would have gotten brought up. We were sitting in the office here just yeah. chatting about it, and he's like, "Why not a podcast?" And I was like, 
fantastic you too idea. He never knew that when he yeah, that's the first time I met. See, he her. never knew that when he had the idea that he was going to be the one having to co-host. Though, like uh, he really right bit off more than he could chew. I was I was a senior in undergrad, and <laughs> yeah, your idea, you're part yeah. of it. Good for right? you. No, that's the first time I met Drew at one of our symposiums. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and I remember you talking about that, and I was like, because you're like, give me a name, and I'm like, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> and then I saw it when I got the invite, nutrition on a mission. And I go, hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I yeah. like that. That's original. That's unique. That's good. I like that. Who came up with that? Ah, I don't know. I kind of want to say we were just spitballing a bunch of stuff. I think we had probably a hundred different ideas, got them down to like four, sent them as a vote. Like it, it went all over the place. So, well, a shout out, you know, that took you forever to come with that. It's because you're so close to it, right? It was. Perfect. And then somebody else comes in. They're like, you should just call that. And you're like, that works. I like it. When I was yeah. when I was trying to think of a, a name for the journal, mm-hmm. I had all these. I mean, I had all these names, probably a hundred names. And I was sending it out to like all my friends and stuff. I'm like, what do you think about this? Like, come on, what do you think? And like, eh. and then Dr. Lucente, mm-hmm. who's one of our associate editors, he's like, oh, well, it's a new journal. Uh, it's foundational knowledge. Call it Nutritional Foundations. In like an immediate text back, and I'm like, I hate you. Yeah. And that's it. We and he relate. has credit for coming up with the name. And he never forgets to remind me of that. Uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, I came up with that journal name. You did. And it was Dr. Lucente. That was a fantastic ad. Good job. But damn it, I didn't come up with it. <laughs> Way to go, that. Doc. I like the name, Way to too. Go, Doc. But uh, anyway. Well, uh, it was certainly my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I couldn't think of a, a better way. Uh, to spend a Monday evening uh, than with both of you. So thank you. We appreciate it. it. Yep. Thank you for coming on. Hey, remember new podcast episodes will be released weekly and we'll drop on Spotify, Apple podcasts and more platforms every Monday with special behind the clip scenes shared on social media and on YouTube throughout the week. We appreciate everyone tuning in. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at nutrition on a mission pod and follow Drew and I at Iowa performance Institute. Can't wait for you guys to join us again next time. The views and comments expressed herein are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the ACA Council on Nutrition or the American Chiropractic Association.